Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I have the wonderful Dr. Jeff Wright back on the podcast. And Dr. Wright, I say this to to Jared when we podcast. I'm like, I love these hours because I get to pick your brain about all of these things. So I don't have to go to the conferences. I just get like the Cliff Notes version. And so do all the listeners. And so today from interviewing you and you interviewing us and just like the little clips of knowledge that I've gotten from you and your wife, Amber, I really would love to dive into your knowledge base on treatment options for complex health conditions. That way, as people are listening to this podcast and the topics that we're going to cover are autoimmune disease, cancer, Lyme, Epstein-Barr, POTS, mold, and long COVID. This is what we see a lot in our clinic, right? And a lot of people have these health issues. And so I would love to go into people's options. What do they have available to them? In your 20 plus years of experience, what has been the most successful treatments? But before we do that, I want to share something with you. I have like a tiny little surprise. Today, I actually announced on Instagram, I teased yesterday and I said, I can't announce yet, mostly because I have to onboard my staff that you are going to be part of Provo Health. But I was like, we're introducing a new doctor to our team. And then I announced it today and I cannot tell you, I want to read some of the DMs that I got. <laughs> we're just so thrilled. So this is reported. This is live. So I haven't heard this before. This is all new to me. So he has it. This I'm is a surprise. Up. So I had some and go, ah, I've been looking for him. I love Dr. Wright. I could cry right now. Since 2020, I've been looking for another doctor I could trust. Dr. Wright is awesome. And then I had tons of people message me and they're like, this is huge. Congratulations. And then another person, this is one of my favorites. They're like, oh my gosh, I was devastated when he retired. I know so many people who will be so excited. So did you know you have like a massive fan base? (laughs) I've been finding that out. Yes. (laughs) It's so funny too, because I actually shared with this person. I said, I was sad the year I found out that you retired because your work is legendary, right? And I said here, it's like we lost a national treasure. I remember when I heard the news and I was totally shocked. I remember when Kim Roney, Tristan's mom was like, yeah, do you know that he retired? And I was like, no, Dr. Jeff Wright cannot retire. There's not a world where he just stops being Dr. Wright. So anyways, I just love that so many people know you and love you and truly treasure you. And so we're really lucky to have you. (laughs) I'm delighted. And can I say, I love these hour-ish podcasts because I know they go a few extra minutes. I love them because ultimately people who are suffering in some way need good information. And I, one of my favorite things to do on the planet is to give them good information. I'm a truth seeker yeah. and truth. And so I love it when somebody speaks to me in and gives me data that I can actually use. Like I can take it home and go, okay, that actually worked. And it's, it may or may not be the standard of care. I love that being able to share with your listeners and future patients to get people to go someplace where they can find things that will help alleviate their suffering. 
So, you know, I love that because the reason why I started the podcast was because when we were doing one and a half hour consults, I was like, there's not enough time to educate people on everything they need to know. And so what's so beautiful about the people that come to us is they've already listened to tons of podcasts and have educated themselves and are ready to do the work, right? They just need some kind of conductor to put all the instruments together. They've educated themselves about the instruments and now they need the conductor to like just put it together for them. And so that's how the podcast actually helps us in our clinic is because people are ready to go, right? They are educated. They are very intelligent. They're very proactive. And so by the time they see you or by the time they see Jared, they're like, yeah, let's go a hundred miles an hour. We're ready to do this. So, okay. Listeners, without further ado, today we're going to be talking about there's so many treatments on the planet and there's a lot of snake oil out there that I don't love. There's a lot of like gimmicky things that I don't love and it will take me months, if not years to vet a treatment into the clinic before bringing it in. And I like to look at the research, but I also like to look at the anecdotal evidence as well and how people are reporting back on all of their results. And so today I would love to just pick your brain, Dr. Wright, because you have so much experience and you have pioneered a lot of therapies and you've trained a lot of doctors and a lot of different therapies. I would like to start with what we see the most at our clinic, which is autoimmune diseases. And I've kind of put that in a big box because autoimmune diseases tend to have a core issue, right? Do you want to briefly explain to people why do we get an autoimmune disease? Well, I'll give you my favorite answer first. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) One autoimmune disease isn't going to be the same cause as another autoimmune disease. Ultimately, autoimmune disease is autoimmune disease is autoimmune disease. And if you have one, unfortunately, they typically run in threes or fours. So if you went and got one, there's a probability you're going to get a second one and a third one and even maybe a fourth one. If you get, you might get something like vitiligo where it doesn't have any Mm -hmm. symptoms except it makes your skin turn white. And I say lucky like that because it's still an autoimmune disease. And maybe your symptoms are not going to have symptoms, going paralyzed or having your body fall apart. But the reality is it's still an autoimmune disease. It's still something is going on in your body that where your body decided to attack itself and now you're diseased. And so my take on all autoimmune diseases and some Every autoimmune disease is going to have a certain set of things that are more the trigger for that one. But I find that pretty much the one thing that I can say has been ubiquitous for autoimmune disease is toxins. Now, okay, let's put that in quotes. What is toxic? Basically, anything you can't get rid of is toxic. So if you drink too much water, that could be toxic to you. Obviously, drowning is toxic to you, but too much of anything can be toxic. You may have heard of a guy named Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. He's blind, right? Yes. Do you know why he's blind? Is because we didn't know that if a brand new baby was given pure oxygen, like in an oxygen tent, it can make them go blind. Whoa, really? Yeah. I did not know that. You wonder is one of those examples of somebody who went blind because they were given too much oxygen. So everything can be healthy or toxic in the right dose. Wow. So toxins are something that you can't get rid of. Well, how do I know if you have a toxin? You're breathing because you're getting it from breathe. You're getting it from the air from the, the air freshener. You're getting it from cleaning agents that have freshening stuff. You're getting it from heavy metals that were coming out the tailpipe called lead from leaded gasoline that we took out of the gas tanks, out of the engines, right, out of the gas in 1987. So basically, if you were born before 1987, you have lead poisoning because you were breathing. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately for that one, if your mother or grandmother or great-grandmother was born before you, then you have lead because it can cross the placenta up to four times. 
Lead is a ubiquitous toxin that pretty much all of us have. There's pesticides, there's solvent, there's radiation in the form of radon and or radiation in the form of Wi-Fi and electromagnetic fields. Well, guess what? I'm poking on everybody now because, well, we live in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But toxins is, I think, the number one reason why autoimmune diseases are a big issue. Now, I don't want to pick on any particular issue. There are some things that in medicine are kind of like the holy cow. You can't really poke at the holy cow because it's a sacred cow. Mm -hmm. Poke at that. Everybody says, well, that's a sacred cow. You can't push on that. And one of those sacred cows is vaccination. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you right up front, I am a fan in theory of vaccines Mm -hmm. in give something safe and a small amount of that to prevent something really bad like tetanus. I think that's a beautiful idea. My concern is if we're putting other adjuvants in there that are potentially toxic that are supposed to trigger the immune system to react to the stuff that's in the vaccine, that can spill over and cause other problems. Now, there's lots of people who who are vaccinated who don't have problems, but that's on the list of things that are a potential concern. And like I said in in the last podcast, I'm an equal opportunity offender. Whatever I think it is that's causing you problems, I'm going to address that as a potential source of the disease. Mm -hmm. And let's find to work around for you to be able to get well. Right. You know, I love that you brought that up and vaccines are so controversial, but the anecdotal evidence just kind of speaks for itself. And what's sad is that people that have their stories are so gaslit around their stories that they don't feel safe to talk about their stories anymore. But yet I have had hundreds of DMs from people just sharing their story with me of like vaccine injury, but it has to be behind closed doors. I've spoken to tons of doctors on the podcast where we can't say certain things on the podcast, but when the mics are off, we can say certain things. Yeah. I have a colleague and friend who actually lost his medical license Mm-hmm. Because there's a state in our country that has decided that if you say anything, if you write a, a waiver to vaccines and you aren't a public health official, which he did, he lost his medical license because of that. Unbelievable. I interviewed Dr. Jess Pietras. She's a very well-known doctor on Instagram. And she lost her medical license because she was giving exemptions for good causes. Like these people were having multiple autoimmune diseases and they were going to put her on trial. She talks about that in a podcast earlier this year. If you guys want to go listen to it, it is phenomenal. And she is such a powerhouse, but it really is hard. What side on that is, is if your family says, if you don't get the vaccine, we're going to fill in the blank bad thing to you here. And so, you know, that might be a good reason to go get it. And so ultimately, when it comes right down to it, it should be an individual choice. We as healthcare practitioners should support the person in the choice that they made with the best information that they could get at the time. And, you know, I don't think that doctors is not my place as a doctor to browbeat you or gaslight you because you made a choice. Certainly, we all make choices the best. And sometimes they're personal. Sometimes they're psychological choices, not based on science. But, you know, I've known families. Well, if you don't get that vaccine, I'm going to divorce you. They like each other. So, okay, (laughs) if that's a concern, okay, then maybe that's then go get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway, so that's another I've seen cause some pretty nasty autoimmune diseases. I think lifestyle is a player for somebody who is not getting enough sleep. They're eating food that really shouldn't be called food because it's it's devoid of any kind of nutrition. That plays a role. We talked last time, go listen to the podcast on infections, chronic infection, I know absolutely can trigger autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. That's um, a huge one, right? Like looking for infections that just completely disrupt your immune system. I actually okay. have an article on rheumatoid arthritis being caused by mycoplasma mm-hmm. and actually giving an antibiotic to kill the mycoplasma actually turned off rheumatoid arthritis in a number of cases. Like, well, if you're the case, that's a really simple fix. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so food certainly plays a role. Gluten is at the top of the la- that list, but I've seen corn do it. I've seen soy do it. And so it's not always gluten. That's a big one that's messy in our world. So I've seen food do it. Certainly genetics play a role. If you're genetically susceptible, susceptible and everybody in your family has an autoimmune disease, well, guess what? Chances are you're going to be more susceptible because your body is prone to that. Yep. And so I think aside from the, I don't really know mm-hmm. all major reasons. And these are the things that I've seen in treating people is that when we found the food that was the problem and removed it and they got over it, I tested their antibodies to whatever autoimmune disease it was. And the antibodies were normalizing. I kind of go, okay, food's your trigger. So as long as you don't eat that food, you're going to be in remission. That's really cool. One thing I want to add to autoimmune diseases is microbial imbalances, like having a lot of antibiotics can mess up your microbiome, which can mess up your immune response. Leaky gut can do that as well. And then parasites. I know I'm going to keep coming back to parasites, but parasites are a root cause. You got to nurture your gut biome and you got to make sure you're not overrun with parasites because they're really nasty little critters in your body that can just destroy your immune function. And so I get that because I hit it with my patients all all the time. So I'm glad you're you're spreading the word. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. You guys, gut health is so huge. Parasite cleanses are so huge. For treatment options for people with autoimmune disease, the obvious is make sure you're filling up your gas tank with highly nutritious food. You're detoxing. You are doing parasite cleanses. You are healing your gut lining. You're doing all the stuff to restore your microbiome through whole foods, lots of fiber, all that stuff. As far as treatment options go, what are some of your favorites for those that are extremely severe autoimmune, let's say they have like IBD, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis. If somebody has inflammatory bowel disease, the single best research therapy that I've seen for that particular autoimmune disease is actually the specific carbohydrate diet. Specifically, you avoid all carbs. Oh, interesting. (laughs) There's a great book on it called Breaking the Vicious Cycle. It's written by Elaine Gottschalk. And basically, she found that if she put people on a very restrictive, no-carb or very super-duper low-carb diet, there are many cases of inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, and so on, actually went back into remission. And over time, within like a year to two years, they could actually go back to putting the carbs back in and still be in remission. That's amazing. So they kind of do like a keto where it's just fat and protein. It is, but keto hadn't been invented yet. Well, a keto was only for seizures back then, but yes. Wow. So a keto diet would really help reverse. And that kind of makes sense because people that have IBD or IBS, there's so much gut dysfunction and dysbiosis. Keto is a really intense elimination diet, right? It, very much so. I When I go to conferences, my favorite people, my favorite doctors to hang out with are mm-hmm. the veterinarians. Oh, really? Why is that? They just have a way of grounding to the world that we human doctors just don't have, generally speaking. And they don't have as powerful a lobby telling them what they can and cannot Mm -hmm. do. And so they can do all kinds of cool stuff. And one of my favorite veterinarians is from Massachusetts, and I love to sit with her. She swears, and I'm not willing to swear, but she just says, well, just give him some poop and, and they'll just recover. She said, in fact, I, you know, all of my, it's really funny. She said, all of my patients are on dog poop. <laughs> that is so funny. Do you know if like a fecal matter transplants are legal here in the United States? I want to bring it to Provo Health. And they, I've heard mixed messages. I heard it's illegal. I heard some clinics are doing it. How do we get fecal matter transplants to Utah. That's complicated in a bunch of ways. The only way it's legal is if you have had tested positive for C. difficile, Clostridium difficile, which is a nasty intestinal bug, and you failed three rounds of treatment. Mm -hmm. And treatment meaning antibiotics, right? 
antibiotics. So that's the only legal way to do fecal transplants. And so I can't tell you that I've ever done a fecal transplant. I can't tell you that I've ever recommended it. I have had a couple of patients who said, I'm going to do this and I just want to make sure that I'm doing it safely. And so I did not tell them what to do. I did not tell them how to go find safe poop and and they did it on their own. I was not supervising because that's not legal for me to do, but I have had some patients do it and they've had some success. I won't, uh, for in one case, I won't say that they fixed everything, but they did move the needle and they did, they did get better. I did an interview with a neuroscientist who works for an FMT clinic that is based in several other countries, not in the United States, obviously. They have a clinic in like Australia and Mexico, and I can't remember the other places, but she was saying that with their FMTs, they're so successful with people with autism that they have over 50% cure rate but they can't do it here in the United States. There's too much red tape. Medical tourism is a very real thing for for a medical procedure because it's cheaper or because you can get something done. I have a daughter who has cancer. She's now 25, 24. She was diagnosed with brain tumor when she was nine. She -hmm. still has it. And we did some medical tourism a couple of times to get some we couldn't get here. And that, while it was a great experience, I learned a lot mm-hmm. and I can actually do all the same stuff that he was doing. The reality was, is for her particular type of cancer, that therapy was not effective enough. Mm. But, you know, I'm telling you from personal experience, medical tourism is a very real thing and it's a fairly safe thing as long as you do a little research beforehand. Right. Totally. We are going to talk about, we're going to have a whole episode on cancer. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about there. We we need to have a whole, maybe two whole can. Yeah. I would love to hear a daughter's story because it's like, this is really fascinating. So with autoimmune diseases, therapies and treatments, do you recommend IV ozone, transdermal ozone therapy, hyperbaric IV therapies? Like if people are pretty severe, obviously diet, nutrition is huge, testing for food allergies and all that stuff. But peptide therapies, what are some things that people should start researching and looking into? All of it. Let's start with the foundation. The foundation is lifestyle, what you do every day. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you don't eat every day, then that's going to be a problem. If you don't sleep every day. So the foundation is get yourself into a good lifestyle. That means that you remove toxins as best as you can. Sometimes that's other people. I dare say remove Wi-Fi as best as you can. Do some grounding, walk barefoot in the grass. That's the foundation. You should already be doing that by the time you come to us. Because otherwise, if you come and spend a whole bunch of money coming to us and we say, you need to you know, clean up your toxins and you need to do some grounding, I don't want to start there. I want to, oh, oh you're good. You've already cleaned up your toxins. You're already eating organic. You're already, you know, and you're already, your water. Yeah, you're already drinking clean, pure water. You're already breathing clean air. You're doing all these things and I don't have to focus on that because I'm an expensive tool. If I have to tell you that, then you're wasting your money a little bit. Right. So the next step is, you know, there's some drugs out there that are really helpful. If it's really, really, really acute, sometimes prednisone can really make a difference, but that's a short-term thing. And probably you've already, if you have something that prednisone works for, you probably have already been on it by the time you make it to us. I really do like low-dose naltrexone. Just about to ask about that. As a therapy, I like it because it really puts things into balance. I don't like it because there's not always an end in sight. Mm-hmm. And I like the end in sight, meaning I like the fact that you don't have to do this for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I have mixed emotions about that one, but it is a great therapy to move your needle to a better place where you can function. If the building is burning down, low-dose naltrexone, let's try and get out as many fires as possible and get momentum on your side. What about peptide therapies? 
I like peptide therapies. I really like them a lot. They're extremely powerful. They can do a lot of good. They're they're relatively safe, all things considered. They're a little tricky getting peptides because our country has decided that peptides, I don't know, are what, illegal or... This is pretty recent too, by the way, isn't it? The FDA has just recently cracked down a ton on peptide therapies. Yeah. Same thing with stem cells. There used to be a whole gaggle of stem cell companies out there, and now there's like three. What? Stem cell company. Actually doing stem cells, there's a whole bunch of ways of administering them. That was part of the reason why we went down to Mexico and he was doing stem cells, placental stem cells, and he was doing orally, but doing them injected and or intravenously and or up in the sinuses, even eye drops, stem cells, or we now have to call, we can't call them stem cells. We have to call them nanoparticles. Mm-hmm. which is a fancy way of saying exosomes, which are the growth factors from stem cells, mm-hmm. are extremely safe. The company I use actually has some research studies for various conditions like Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and a number of others. And so they're extremely powerful in moving the needle, Yeah, meaning getting people out of all. I also know some autism cases that have resolved doing stem cells. That's amazing. I really like that. Getting to other therapies. I'm a huge fan of ozone. I'm a huge fan of oxygen. Transdermal ozone is exceptionally powerful. Mm-hmm. Like using the Hocket machine. Yeah, I can, like using the Hocket. As I say that, it's actually the weakest of the ozone therapies. Right. Isn't it crazy? But it's still so effective. I've had several people with arthritis all over their body or trigeminal neuralgia where they're in so much pain and like Hocket, a few sessions and they're pain free. It is miraculous. Ozone is so... I'm a huge fan. So people are like, wow, that powerful and the other ones are more powerful. And so I do IV ozone. So draw some blood out, bubble ozone into it, give it back to the person. I like to combine that with ultraviolet light because ultraviolet light also has tremendous benefits in balancing the immune system. And I say stimulating, but the reality is if somebody already has too much of the immune system, you don't in theory want to stimulate it. So the ultraviolet nozone treatment balances it. It really puts things into a better place. I have a patient that I was treating. Well, I didn't know that I was treating her for ankylosing spondylitis, mm-hmm. which is autoimmune disease where your joints start to fuse. Mm-hmm. So think of chronic arthritis everywhere. Ugh. And so she was doing the ultraviolet ozone treatment for other reasons, but mm-hmm. she noticed that a lot of her pain symptoms decreased dramatically for quite a while after that treatment. And then her twin sister was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis. And since they're the same genetics, guess what she had? She didn't need to do a blood test. That explains why you're having so many body aches and pains and so on. So that's a huge fan of that. Hyperbaric oxygen, huge fan of that because getting more oxygen into the tissues, Mm -hmm. the thing is the body uses oxygen for energy. Right. So you give the tool, the energy source to bodies in a way that they can actually utilize, you just get benefits. Right. And they're downside. People don't realize for mitochondrial function, two major components, ingredients are glucose and oxygen, right? And it's interesting because people, especially here in the mountains, they get in a hyperbaric chamber and they're like, oh my gosh, I am feeling the best I've felt in years. And that's like after one treatment, you know what I mean? And it's because we're slightly oxygen deprived up here in the mountains. And so I think a lot of people that actually, I don't think this, I know this because people report it to me when they go to like California or Florida or like a beach somewhere, they're like, I feel so good when I'm on vacation. I'm like, where are you vacationing? Not the Alps, right? They're vacationing at the coast. And it's like, you're getting a ton more oxygen. But with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, it's not just a ton more oxygen. It's like 25 times more oxygen than usual. And so that's why it's so, so effective. 
one other thing I want to make sure that we covered is with autoimmune disease. And I think we covered this, but making sure that you mentioned toxins, co-infections. So like any kind of viruses, mold exposure. And I want to talk about these individually too and treatments for mold and that, but making sure that you don't have co-infections, you don't have a mold issue. It's not Lyme. It's not a viral infection. You have to make sure that these other infections are not triggering an immune response. Let's dive into it though. Let's dive into these co-infections. I want to start with mold. I'm sad that we didn't mention mold in our last podcast. We totally should have because it is so huge. So mold, mold is a huge problem. And the thing about mold is that if you have mold exposure and you're sick from mold, it can mimic almost any disease. And it is so hard to treat. And doctors like mainstream doctors totally gaslight their clients and their patients all the time because they just don't believe mold is a thing, right? They've been trained in it. What do you do for people that one, what are some of the common signs and symptoms that when someone's talking to you and you're like, this is a mold case, what are you hearing? So there's pathognomonic, which means if you hear that symptom, think mold always. Mm -hmm. There might be one other thing that causes this set of symptoms. And I have a lot of honor for doctors because in medical school, my training for mold was treat symptomatically, which mm -hmm. to me rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, well, okay, that's not getting them well. But they didn't know enough when I was in medical school about mold because the mold protocol didn't get written for another six or seven years mm -hmm. by the time I graduated. So I have a lot of honor for doctors, not taught in medical schools, is now starting to get out there. So the first place I'd send people, if you don't know about mold, go to the guy who wrote the mold protocol. His website is survivingmold.com. Uh, his name is Richie Shoemaker. I think everybody should know that because number one, you can find doctors who are mold literate on that website. Number two, I want to honor anybody who's willing to take that many arrows in the entire body from everybody to write a new protocol deserves to have my kudos. Mm -hmm. While I don't agree with everything that he says, I'm not the guy who wrote the protocol. So I have a little more latitude than he does. Mm -hmm. And so how do I treat it? Well, first of all, let's talk about symptoms. If you pee more than you drink, mm. drink a cup, pee two cups. Interesting. Either that's a brain tumor at the pituitary or it's mold. Mm -hmm. Interesting. If you get static electricity shocks everywhere, like you now don't touch the car door with your finger, you touch it with your elbow or knuckle first because you know you're going to get static electricity shocks. Mm -hmm. That's a mold problem until proven otherwise, always. Mm -hmm. And there's a few exceptions to that rule, like, you know, wool socks on wool carpet. Yeah. But if it's happening everywhere, no, it's not wool socks on wool carpet. It's something else. If you feel internal vibration that you cannot visually see, so I go, nope, no vibration, but you feel it, especially in the spine, that's always a mold problem. Mm -hmm. And it could be a infection as well, but what I see, it's almost, it's nearly always a mold problem. If you have been sick ever since you were in a moldy place, that's a mold problem. And you talked about, hey, yeah, yeah, you feel so much better on the beach. Yeah, but it also could be that your house has mold in it. <laughs> Mm -hmm, right out of the house. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now and you go back in the house, you're sick there. Well, it could be your home is making you sick. Here's another kicker. If you did not leave your home naked and take nothing with you from your moldy house, you could still have mold in your home. You could have brought it from the last place. Yeah. So that's an issue as well. So those are kind of the, the things that, or anything atypical. So if your doctor says, well, you have atypical, here's the diagnosis, atypical neuropathy, atypical MS, atypical depression, atypical any diagnosis, 
think mold. Mm -hmm. Because it mimics everything. It mimics autoimmune. It mimics neurological dysfunction. It mimics so many things. And people are just so confused. These are people that they throw their hands up in the air and they're like, it's all in my head. It's all in my head. Everything looks normal. No one will ever figure this out. I feel like a crazy person. I appreciate what they're saying. It is all in their head, but not in the way that they're imagining it. Right. Imagine it's a real thing happening in their brain. Right. Like they have toxic sludge creating inflammation in their brain. And actually one of the symptoms of mold poisoning is you, if I ask you to do a simple math equation, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. I was never good at math. Well, okay. But nobody was that bad at math. I mean, it's basically like three plus three plus three. And you're thinking, let's see. um, 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 You can't figure it out. Is it nine? Simple things like that. That's called like severe brain fog, but that's not going to show up on blood tests. Right. Well, do you know what's interesting is with our hair analysis, we've had a lot of people come in with bizarre health issues and they're like, I haven't been the same since. And we do a hair analysis and mold shows up as like one of the first things they move out of their rental or their home and they immediately start feeling better. Like their personality changes where they're like, I am having nervous breakdowns. I am not who I used to be. My family deserves better. I'm not the mom I used to be. I'm not the wife I used to be. And then we do a hair scan and it's like raging mold or raging parents parasites or something, the mold people, they move out of the house and they're like, I'm 50% better. The thing is the mold is now in your system, right? You have to figure out how to detox that. So what are some therapy options? Because there's mold, there's mycotoxin, there's biofilm. Mold can be tricky. And not only that, I want to push this with all my episodes, guys. When you have something like mold or Epstein-Barr or Lyme and it damages your brain, like you can get rid of these infections, but you still have to do brain rehabbing because your brain has been damaged. You are walking around literally with brain damage, right? And so that's why you can do tests, but you're like, I still don't feel better. My results are better, but I don't feel better. It is in your head. Your head is still, your brain is still damaged and it needs to be rehabbed. So Dr. Wright, what are some of your favorite mold therapies and solutions? Hey, Gutsy listeners, I want to give a shout out to Cozy Earth once again for always delivering on the softest and most luxurious sheets. You spend a third of your life sleeping, which means you need to make it count as 80% of your healing and repairing happens while you're sleeping. And if you want a temperature regulated, unparalleled comfort Zen Den, Cozy Earth has got you from sheets to pillows and now blankets. It's a no brainer that investing in your sleep is not an indulgence, but an actual necessity. Not only that, but Cozy Earth is providing an exclusive offer to my listeners today, up to 40% off site-wide when you use the code GUTSY. I'm not kidding you. My new husband loves everything North Pole cold and I love everything South African hot. And so these sheets are perfect for the both of us as they are just so comfortable and so regulating. So trust me, Cozy Earth won't let you down with their products. They are phenomenal. First of all, the first two pieces are non-negotiable. If you do not do these two pieces well, you will not get better, period. Mm-hmm. The first one is non-negotiable. You have to stop exposure, period. Right. And it's like saying, well, I'd really like to dry off. I got to get out of the shower first. Well, trying yeah. to dry while you're in the shower is right. just not super bright. Right. If you are still being exposed, you will never get well until you stop all exposure, period, period end of discussion. For the people who my cousin called me, she had the laundry list of everything bad happening. And I said, where's your mold? And she's like, I don't have mold. I said, yeah, you got mold. Where's your mold? And it ended up that her mold was in her apartment, her rental apartment. And some guy came in and bless his heart. He didn't know what he was doing, but he cut open the hole. No, no, no. 
it's o- it's okay. It's safe. It's not. I'm like, and where did he get his training in mold? I was like, you need to get out. You know, she didn't own the home. So she really couldn't do it. And I said, basically, everything you can't wipe down or sterilize, don't take with you. Yeah. So, you know, she had to take some stuff, but she more or less moved out and didn't take much with her. And then we got around part two, which is a binder. Now, let me explain. There are basically three directions you can go if you get exposed to mold. The first one is people who are not genetically susceptible, they get exposed to mold. When they get out of it, they get well. Mm-hmm. No harm, no foul. It's not a problem. This is about 75 to 80% of the population. So this is where the wife says, my husband doesn't get it. He thinks it's all in my head. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? He doesn't have the genetic. Uh, are they genetically the same person? No. And so he might be genetic. He's probably not genetically susceptible, but she is. So she's having all the symptoms. Sometimes it's the husband who has the problem, but women tend to be more susceptible. And so about 20 to 25% of the population is genetically susceptible where their immune system, which would normally grab it, kill it and remove it, can't. Mm-hmm. They have to go with plan B, which is detoxification through the liver. It dumps those toxins into the bowel. Unfortunately, they're so small, they get reabsorbed back into the bowel. And then the immune system sees it, gets more inflamed, but it can't remove it. And so then it goes to the liver and gets dumped, and then it gets reabsorbed. And this can go, the longest I've seen it amongst my patients is 20 years. Yikes. And we found it after 20 years. So Um, what do these people do? Like, how do they fix this? Well, it's that's part of the protocol. So the second set of people, they're genetically susceptible. They don't have a long-term exposure. They get out. They take the binders to get it out of them. That's part two. You take a binder and then they get well because it hasn't induced enough inflammation to cause all the chronic health problems. What are some of your favorite binders? Favorite one is Pectisol. Mm, that's easy. Like you can get that on Amazon. Yeah, it's super. Well, I don't buy on Amazon for a couple of reasons. Number one, I've had too many times where people bought the right product from the right brand and they still had problems. I don't know whether Amazon had it in a hot mm-hmm. warehouse. So yes, you can get it on Amazon. It's better than nothing. Yeah. You can get it through store as well. So, but Pectisol is the easiest. The research is not on Pectisol. The research is on cholestyramine, which is a drug, on chlorella, spirulina, clay, charcoal, glucomannan, all of those there's research on. Pectisol is the one I've used forever and it works consistently, but there's not as much research on that one. But I go, what makes my patients well? And Pectisol is the one that works really well. That's awesome. Stop exposure part two is a binder. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, I don't know whether you're in the first, second or third category. And so usually I say, look, start on Pectisol, do a full dose twice a day, preferably away from food. And in six to 12 weeks, you should be significantly better. Amazing. Not better than we have to start the mold protocol, which is testing to find out what broke, Mm -hmm. what parts of your body are not functioning, and then initiate therapies to manage and repair that. One of them is actually people who have a mold illness. It's called chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS. Mm Mm-hmm. They actually will get an infection in their sinuses, which doesn't necessarily cause a sinus infection. And it actually perpetuates the mold cycle. And so you have to find that bug and eradicate it. Because if you don't, you're not going to get well because this is a co-infection of sorts for the mold stuff. That's part of the testing. You need to do one of those tests. I encourage people to do a urinary mycotoxin because I like to know, okay, do you have mold or not? And is it coming out? And that's kind of a good test to see what's going on. And then there's a bunch of blood tests, some of which are covered by insurance, some of which are not, to find out, okay, what else broke? Then we can initiate therapies to repair the broken stuff. And there's kind of an order to it until you get to the end when people feel awesome. So what are some of those therapies? I know Jared loves the ionic foot bath. 
I know a ton of our mold people love transdermal ozone therapy. It just, it stimulates phase one and two of liver detoxification. And it just really helps. I think what it does mostly is just helps repair the damage from mold. And so we have a lot of people in Provo Health. We have these like unlimited packages where they can do unlimited hocket and foot bath and flow presso where we're just detoxing the body over and over and over again with those therapies multiple times a week. Well, and if you synergize and put them in together, they'll actually more be better. So some of the therapies are like there's certain peptides, but the peptides have to be done last. Otherwise they won't work because you didn't fix the thing that was upstream from it. There's certain things like fish oil will resolve some of the things. I'm a huge fan of ozone because that stimulates everything to get better. Oxygen like hyperbaric is going to stimulate the body to repair itself. So you can already do repair. Neurotherapy also, again, helps to stimulate the brain to start repairing itself. So you don't have to, and these are all things outside of the standard mold, mold protocol that you can do to augment mm-hmm. your body getting better faster. So what we do at Provo Health, you guys, is when someone has a mold issue where there's been so much damage and they've been dealing with SIRS for like years. Everything that Dr. Wright said, I'll kind of give you a timeline. You put them on the binder, depending on like which binder and or who you work with. But then we have them detox the mold with the binder while doing other nutritional therapies to help heal and repair the body. And so we're trying to get as much mold out as possible with the binders, with the ionic foot bath, with Hocket. And people do that for about two to three months. That's how long it is. But that's just to get the stuff out. We have to get the destructive tenants out of the body. And so that's obviously the mold. But then phase two is then hyperbaric, is then peptide. That would be like neurofeedback to rehab the brain. Those are all therapies that heal and repair all the damage that was done. I always like to think of it, let's say you had like a rental apartment, a complex, right? And you had a bunch of like fraternity 20-year-olds drinking booze and destroying the place. And they're just not taking care of your building. You don't say, hey, the building's destroyed. Let's get a bunch of contractors and fix it while they're living there. You can't do that. You have to get rid of the tenants that are destroying it, which is the mold. You have to get that out and then go in and restore and repair the building so that you can get better tenants in later that actually upkeep it and don't destroy it the way these 20-year-old frat boys were doing with their beer parties and all that. And you also don't throw up a coat of paint and do some landscaping either. Fix the structure first. Right. Remove the frat boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> remove exactly. The, remove the, you know, I like to think of it like this, you know, it's really important that you take out the trash every day. And it sounds really cool to take like 95% of the trash out every day. But if you think about that, if you live in a house for a couple of years, that 5% is going to build up. Yep. So where do you put it? Well, the closet's a good place. Mm-hmm. The closet gets a little full. And so where do you go? Okay, well, we can put that behind the toilet. And then pretty soon that's full. Then you put it behind the sink and that's full. And then behind the refrigerator, pretty soon all these empty places are getting full. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to start hiding it under the, you know, the carpet. Well, guess what? What happens when it's all, all you got all this garbage hanging out? Well, the critters find it. Mm-hmm. They go, well, my goodness, I've got a critter problem. And so you bring in the, you know, the pest control company and they take care of the critters. Whew, got rid of the mice. Whew, I'm so glad I got rid of the mice. Mm-hmm. But you didn't get rid of the reason why the mice were there. And now the next influx of mice come. Yep. And so yep. you got to- are the mice still here. I thought I dealt with this. Mm-hmm. That's such a good analogy. You have to get all of it gone. Otherwise, the problem is just going to keep coming back. You're going to keep getting reinfected. Two steps forward, two steps back, two steps forward, two steps back. I freaking love that. I also love another therapy that I love is I intravenous glutathione, intravenous B vitamins. They really can help support the body and jumpstart healing. And I use a lot of B12 in my practice and I have people giving themselves shots. I've never yet seen a toxic reaction to B12. 
somebody, you know, earlier this morning and I said, I want to take some B12. And I said, I've not ever seen a toxic dose to this. I've given it to people and I've seen people take it so much that they pee the red, mm-hmm. like they, they pee it out. And that's shocking if you're not expecting it, but it didn't hurt them. And it's a little bit pricey if you're doing that much B12. But the reality is, is when their anxiety goes away, they have a clear mind. Okay, well, this is a dose of B12. And so doing a good solid multivitamin mineral formula with lots of B12 and B vitamins and extra glutathione thrown in for good measure really helps to move the needle so that people get better faster. I'm glad you mentioned that because you can take high doses of vitamins orally, but IV therapy just hits the immune system so fast. Like when we do our IV therapies in the clinic, people can feel it. They can feel the glutathione push. They can feel the Myers. They can feel the zinc. It's like immediate absorption. And you know, what's really interesting is I've been doing hair scans for years on myself, obviously, and clients, but I'm always nutrient depleted. Always. It doesn't matter how well I eat. I've just always been chronically depleted. And ever since I started doing IV therapies, this was the first hair scan where I didn't have a high priority in vitamins and minerals. It was an advisory. And I was like, this is crazy. And I'm pregnant. So I know this baby's like sucking up everything inside me. And I was like, wow, this is literally the healthiest hair scan I've ever had. I also know I have parasites and I have all the things and whatnot. You know, I'm a work in progress, as people know on the podcast, but IV therapies are very, very, very effective to just help you get over that hump and get results really, really fast. Don't overlook them. Take the oral and do the IV. And so, yeah, those pushes are phenomenal. So another thing I would add to the IV therapies, which you're not doing yet, but when I'm there, we can start doing it, is heavy metals actually will are co-factors in a lot of these chronic infections. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about testing that another podcast, but a lot of people are heavy in metals and they're not able to get well because they're holding on to these heavy metals, which are destroying the mitochondria. They're inactivating the oxygen. So you're doing all these therapies, which are getting inactivated because you have this catalyst called a heavy metal messing things up. And so doing heavy metal detoxification and or including chelation therapy can make mm-hmm. a humongous difference in getting people well as, as well. Yeah. And I want to have an episode on IVs and chelation, but I know there is a dangerous way to do chelation and a safe way to do chelation. I've always been extremely hesitant to recommend chelation therapy. So I cannot wait to pick your brain about it because I know- A whole episode about chelation because you're right. There's a safe way and there's a dangerous way and they can be the exact same thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is freaky unless you know what you're doing. And a shout out to anybody who's thinking about doing that. Make sure that the person who is doing the chelation or is recommending it has had a good solid amount of training and education in chelation. I'll be honest, Dr. Wright, like chelation therapy scares me. I've just heard so many horror stories and Mm -hmm. I know people personally that have ended up in the hospital because of chelation therapy. And so I have never recommended it. I'm always slow and steady wins the race when it comes to heavy metals. But there are really extreme cases where I can see where chelation therapy could be necessary to expedite healing. And yet it still scares me. So I can't wait to do another podcast on that. We'll do a whole podcast on that one. Perfect. The next thing. So we've spoken about mold. I want to talk about one more thing and we'll do like a part two for all the other ones that we didn't get around to. I would like to talk about therapies because when we were talking earlier this week and I was talking, you are super Lyme literate. You are probably one of the best of the best in Utah when it comes to Lyme and Lyme therapies. And you said to me, Lyme is easy. (laughs) And you started talking about therapies and whatnot. You're like, it's all the co-infections, right? Which people that listen to the podcast are learning. What are 
some of the your favorite treatment therapies for Lyme disease? Because this one's a hard one. If it's it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite treatment, hands down, for Lyme disease, if it's just plain run-of-the-mill infection, Lyme disease, is ozone with a little bit of peroxide and ultraviolet blood radiation, biophotonic therapy. I mean, it's basically an ultraviolet, I call it a UVO3 or an ultraviolet ozone treatment. I see people get well from it consistently. Mm-hmm. Don't get well. I scratch my head and you go, what else did I miss? What co-infection? Where is it hiding? What's um, the difference between that and like 10 pass? And what 10 pass and explain to people what 10 pass is and explain to people what you just described as far as that with the IV and tell people what that looks like. Well, I've been doing ozone for now 12, a dozen years. I first started out with what's called a major auto hemotherapy, which is where you draw blood out, put ozone into it and give it back. Nothing else. I bought the premium device on the market, which is, you know, normally major auto hemotherapy is you draw the blood out, you access a vein, you fill up a bag on the floor. So it's coming out via gravity and then you put ozone into it. It and hang it up and run it back in it takes around 30 to 45 minutes to do one treatment. You're ozonating about 200 milliliters of blood, which is about a half cup. Mm-hmm. And so I learned that and I brought it back and I started working on my Lyme patients and about half of them got better, which is really cool for the half, but not really cool for the other half. Yeah. And so the machine I bought actually does that under pressure. And the reason I'm bringing that up because we're going to get to 10 pass because in order to do 10 passes, you have to have something that will do 10 passes. So I bought the best machine. I could do that major autohemotherapy in about eight minutes. So it draws the blood out under pressure, puts the ozone in under pressure, and the pressure actually does more good than just doing the ozone in the blood via gravity. And then you push it back in, that's one treatment. Mm -hmm. So there's a doctor in Austria who said, well, if I can do one, why can't I do two? Mm-hmm. And three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. So basically you draw blood out, put ozone into it, push it back in really fast. That's one pass. You do that nine more times. That's 10 passes. Mm-hmm. And all in one sitting. All like, in one sitting. One it takes, treatment. takes about an hour, hour and a half to do. Requires a lot of expensive equipment, a lot of training. I had the equipment. I had the training. I started doing it. And this is my bias, but I don't want to work this hard. About a third of the people that I did the treatment on had a fairly significant Herxheimer reaction. Yeah. Like I said, I don't really want to work that hard. Mm-hmm. And so while I love the therapy and it was very powerful... There has to be another way so I don't have to work that hard and the people don't have to get that sick. Yeah. So I knew the inventor of the ultraviolet machine. He's the developer of this one. The original inventor was in the 1920s and 30s and using blood radiation with ultraviolet light, he was curing the incurable at the time, which was like pneumonia and a lot of other things. Wow. And the reason they went away from it was because antibiotics were invented. And if I can give you a pill or I have to draw a whole bunch of blood out and you have to sit there for an hour, it's a lot easier to give you a pill. So that's kind of why the ultraviolet treatment went away. Well, he was the developer of the modern machine. And so he and I became really close friends. And he said, well, why can't we do like a five pass? And I said, well, first of all, you're not five passing anything. So you can't really call it a five pass. Mm -hmm. Uh, He came up with some ideas and some equipment in my office. I was the one who developed it. He and I together developed a thing called a high dose ultraviolet treatment. And so instead of doing two ounces of blood that we normally do for regular ultraviolet treatment, we do about 300 milliliters, which is a little less than a cup Mm -hmm. of blood. And between 10 and 12 times stronger than the regular one, the amount of ozone you're getting is about half of what you're getting for a 10 pass. And I just don't see like Almost never. I just don't see Herxheimer reactions with it. And so using, and I always do a a low dose regular ultraviolet treatment first, and then I do the high dose ultraviolet treatment or high dose UVO3. 
and people who have Lyme disease, usually they're well in two to three treatments. Mm-hmm. And it's just consistent. If they're not well, I kind of scratch my head and go, what am I missing? What is miss? Well, why aren't you? And so, you know, there's another thing out there called EBO, E-B-O-O, which is extracorporeal blood ozone oxygenation. It's You have to have two veins, which is I'm not... I'm a huge fan of Ibu, but the device is very expensive and you have to have two veins. So the blood comes out of one, gets put in the other, goes through, passes through an ozone dialysis filter. And so there's some filtering that happens as well. And I actually consult with a company who has one and we're working some details out. So I'm a huge fan of that as well. But in my own personal practice, the high, the UVB, UVO3 and the high dose UVO3 works so well that I haven't found the need yet to add Ibu yet. And there's probably a time where I'll add it. But for now, I've had such good success that I haven't needed it. Now, I've known a lot of people who got great results with Ibu. And so I'm a huge fan. It's just for my own personal practice, I haven't needed it yet. Mm-hmm. And- the treatment, the ozone treatments that are available. Ozone's your favorite for Lyme, it sounds like. Yes. Ozone with combined with ultraviolet. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. One of my favorites, obviously, because I own hyperbarics, is hyperbaric oxygen therapy because it can hyperoxygenate all the tissues where the dense tissues where Lyme likes to hide out in. And the oxygen can help oxidize it. But not only that, it also restores function to the damage from Lyme. I like to explain Lyme kind of like, think of a tree with termites. They burrow holes in the tree. Well, you can kill the termites, but there's still the holes in the tree, right? And so people are still very, very symptomatic. And so what I like about the hyperbaric is that it goes in and it patches up the holes in the tree because people can still be symptomatic of Lyme, but the Lyme's not there. The termites are dead, right? No, the holes are still there. We got to heal up the holes. And that's why I keep saying we have to rehab the brain. When you have an infection, when you have Lyme, when you have Epstein-Barr, when you have mold, there is brain damage. There's literal brain damage. The holes in the tree, we got to fix those holes. You got to do therapies to repair those tissues. Well, and people who have uh, damaged ligaments, tendons, and cartilage as well, Mm-hmm. From Lyme, work its way into those areas, and while you might be able to eradicate the bug, you still have damage to those places, and it looks like fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. What's fibromyalgia? Well, you hurt, and we don't know why. Okay, well, I already knew that. But the thing is, is and that oxygen helps to induce stem cells and induce the oxygen so that those tissues can repair themselves, mm-hmm. and it's phenomenal for eradicating and re- helping repair. So yes, yeah. Therapy. We just have a Lyme patient. She did a consult with me and Jared. This was right as Jared was being hired on. And she was at her last leg. She was just like, I can't. She's like, this is the end of the line for me. I've lost hope and I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on treatments and whatnot. And it turned out, obviously, you know, nutritional stuff, mold, co-infections. It's funny because this podcast has kind of gone on that kind of trail where we started her on some medication to manage her symptoms, right? She like her symptoms were just so inflammatory using Hockett, Flopresso, ionic foot baths to just detox, 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 like open up drainage pathways, get bowels moving, detoxify her body from any kind of mold or co-infection. And then last but not least, we are doing hyperbaric and she's like, a completely different person. Her personality has changed. Her energy has changed. She's a new... I want to interview her and see if she would be open to it. But it's just interesting how we have to clean up house, get all the yucky, the trash that's hiding under all the things behind the toilet and under the rug. We have to get rid of that. And then we have to 
bring in the contractors and just heal and repair the rest of the house, the whole body. You know what I mean? And so we're getting IV ozone with the UV light, correct? You're helping us bring that into Provo Health. So I'm so, so excited. And Dr. Wright, if you're like, hey, we need that EBU machine too, I'll probably say yes. <laughs> I'll probably be like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Anything we can do to help people and expedite their healing, we'll do it. I want to keep going, but I think we need to do a part two. I want to ask one more. We've spoken about last one, Epstein-Barr. Let's talk about Epstein-Barr and then we will keep cancer, POTS, long COVID to another episode. With Epstein-Barr, what are some of your favorite therapies? All the same, but I would add Epstein-Barr. I would add fever treatments to Epstein-Barr. Oh, what are fever treatments? Basically, give yourself a fever. Oh, interesting. So I'll so tell like you sauna. I'll tell you, well, no, uh, actually sauna doesn't work for this because the sauna, the whole point of the sauna is, is that you're sweating, mm -hmm. which is the body's mechanism for cooling you. Mm -hmm. And so I used to work with a doctor who ran a clinic where he put people in a reverse wetsuit, meaning the water was on the inside, not the outside. Mm -hmm. We'd get their temperature up to 105 degrees, yeah. keep it there for about 30 to 45 minutes for things like cancer, chronic infection, Lyme, and so on. And he and I both agree, you can do the same thing at home. Now, I'm going to tell you how not to do it by giving you an example of what I've done. And then I'll tell you how to, how I mitigate that. So back in the day when my wife and I were first married, I went home for some vacation. I'm pretty selfish when I get sick. I don't really like to share. But apparently my family members weren't really being selfish and I got something. And so I sat in the bathtub and I put about that much water in it because I don't like to get into a cold bathtub. And then I turned off the cold water and just filled up the tub with hot water. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, is when you're in a really hot tub, you sweat, but the water is carrying the sweat away. So there's no cooling effect from it. Mm -hmm. So basically I cooked myself until I couldn't stand it anymore. Wow. And then I proceeded to get out and passed out and hit my head on the way down. My wife was standing right there. I scared the bejeebies out of her. So I'm telling you all your listeners, don't do this at home. And she made me swear to her that I would never do this to her ever again. Mm -hmm. So I started talking to my friend who's a doctor and I said, hey, I want to try a fever treatment. She's like, you promised? I said, I know. I want to get your permission. Mm -hmm. And so I did the same thing. But I was smart this time. I got in a hot bathtub, filled it up as hot as I could stand it. Because if you get into a hot tub that hot, you can't get in. It's too hot. If you throw a, a frog in boiling water, they jump out. They jump but out. If, it's just the same principle. Yeah. So instead of doing what I had done previously and being stupid, don't be stupid like I was. I actually, after being there for about 15 minutes, I took my body temperature and my body temperature was about 102.7. Mm -hmm. And just so you know, when you get a fever of 102 and higher, you're going to feel terrible. You might get some anxiety. You might get some nausea. You might just feel terrible, like sick to your stomach. Guess what? You're going to feel that too because mm -hmm. you're giving yourself a fever. And so what I did is I gave myself a fever for about 15 minutes. You don't have to go really any longer than that. Then I let half the water out. Then I turned on the cold water and filled up the tub again because water conducts heat about 25 times more effectively than air does. Mm -hmm. That's why a wet sauna is going to be more efficient than a dry sauna. Mm. You're still sweating to keep yourself cool. So you won't really get an effective fever in a sauna where you will get an effective fever in hot water. Mm-hmm. 
And so I cooled myself down, stayed in for another 10 minutes. And then I got out and she watched me the whole time. And she watched me three or four times before she trusted that I wasn't going to do something stupid again. That's amazing. But if you can get out and cool down in bed, cool down on the floor more slowly than that, it's a little bit even more effective. So fever treatments are a very powerful tool for uh, for for basically anything where the immune system's out of whack. Mm-hmm. So cancer is where the immune system's out of whack. You have decided, your body says, I didn't kill that bug or I didn't kill that cell that should have died. Mm-hmm. So it's an immune system dysregulation at the core. If you have an infection, whether the reason why the body makes a fever is because your immune system is working faster and more efficiently mm-hmm. at 102 degrees. Mm-hmm. So I do pediatrics and parents bring their kids to me and they got a fever. I'm like, let it run. Yeah. That fever is helping them get over this disease faster. Right. A lot of people that have Epstein-Barr love the transdermal ozone sauna because it's a wet sauna and it has ozone, which stimulates the immune system, which helps oxidize all the things. It's antiviral, antibacterial, anti all the things. If you're really sensitive, which a lot of people who have Epstein-Barr, cytomegalovirus, Lyme, and so on, they are really sensitive. You can't handle a fever treatment like I just described. Mm Mm-hmm. You should do a hocket because you can handle that much more likely and you can handle the, you know, the detox things. I mean, literally you can't handle that kind of fever. Do you know what's really interesting is our staff have thoroughly been trained on hocket procedures because we have more people passing out in our hocket because even though it is a wet sauna, the ozone makes it more intense. And a lot of people come to us and they're like, oh yeah, I do sauna all the time, like crank up the heat. And we're like, nope, we are not doing that. We cannot have another person pass out in this ozone sauna because it's wet heat and it is that added ozone. And so it just like the body is so stimulated. Mitochondrial function is like going through the roof, livers turned off. And people don't recognize that. And then we have people pass out, you know, and so like we're calling in the doctors and we're calling in the nurse practitioners. And there is a very, very strong protocol for our Hockett. People think it is a mild therapy. It is not. It's milder compared to IV therapies and whatnot. Milder, but it's still super powerful. It's still very, very powerful. (laughs) It's not a joke in our office. It's kind of like we all have a little bit of PTSD with the Hockett just because so many people come in with so much confidence and we're like, you don't know what you're getting into. This isn't Disneyland. <laughs> like, this is a very, very powerful thing. And to put some dots together, if somebody's passing out in there, there's a high probability that they're on their borderline pots. Mm-hmm. Uh, if their blood pressure is dropping when they get hot, that's very likely to be related to POTS. So there's other things that they need to be doing to manage a condition that they didn't even know they had until they passed out. I want to do a whole episode on POTS. POTS is very complex and very scary for people. And a lot of people don't know what to do when they have POTS. They hit a lot of walls. So we will do a part two to therapies and what people can research and what people can do to help heal their bodies and avenues that they can pursue. Dr. Wright, thank you so, so, so much. You are such a gift to this world. You guys, if you need some help with your healing, if you need a conductor to help you put all the puzzle pieces together and create some kind of direction and treatment plan, call Prova Health. Dr. Wright is here to help you. Our team is here to help you find healing in your journey where you have found roadblocks. So you can email front desk at Prova Health or call 801-691-1765. Dr. Wright, it's a running joke that sometimes I 
almost give my cell number instead of the office number. So I have to like make sure I'm like, yep, that was the office number for sure. All right, listeners, thanks for being here. And Dr. Wright, thank you for being on the podcast again. And we will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast. 